Well, today uh, we're continuing our message series, Living in the Spirit. And in this series, we're talking about how each and every believer can grow in their relationship with the Holy Spirit. Now, today we're going to be talking about the fullness of the Spirit. Now, in the last couple of, of messages in this series, we've been talking about spirit baptism. And if, if you missed some of these messages, I encourage you to watch them online. They're on our website, and you can watch them there. You can actually download them to listen on a podcast as well. But spirit baptism is the initial filling with the Holy Spirit uh, with the evidence of tongues. Acts 2.4 from the day of Pentecost says, All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. I just remind you that in your bulletin there's a white sheet here with the scriptures and the outline written out. I encourage you to take that out on the back of our study questions and we'll be going over those in our life group uh, tonight and some of the other life groups will as well. But notice here in this verse on the day of Pentecost that that spirit baptism is described as being filled with the Holy Spirit. Being filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what spirit baptism is all about. And on his sermon on the day of Pentecost, Peter preached. There was a large crowd there on the day of Pentecost, about 3,000 people, and Peter preached to them all. And he preached that every person needed to experience three things. It's talked about in Acts 2.38, right out of Peter's sermon here. These are really the key verses. He's told the people, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And so the three things that Peter instructed the people to respond to were, first of all, they needed salvation. They needed to be saved. Secondly, they needed to be water baptized. And thirdly, they needed to be baptized in the Spirit. Now, Spirit baptism, Peter describes in this verse as a gift, the gift of the Holy Spirit. He also calls it a promise, the promise of the Father. And that promise was not just for the people there on the day of Pentecost. It was for their children. It was not just for their children. It was for all who are far off. For everybody that the Lord will call. For everyone that is a believer of all times. And so following the day of Pentecost, the New Testament writers assume that every believer is water baptized. Every believer is spirit baptized. That is the standard that was set on the day of Pentecost. And today there are estimated to be 600 million spirit-baptized believers in the world. And that's even though most denominations do not teach spirit baptism. A life church is part of the Assemblies of God. It's the largest uh, fellowship in the world that teaches spirit baptism, often referred to as Pentecostal. What does the term Pentecostal mean? It simply means that spirit baptism as taught in the Bible uh, as recorded in Acts, is taught and practiced in Pentecostal churches as an essential part of the Christian life. Now, today, before we uh, move on to our topic, I'd like to look at five types of Pentecostal churches. And of these, only one is truly biblical. And uh, the four types that aren't really very biblical are the reason that the term Pentecostal has some negative connotations. Now, of course, the term Christian in the, today has some negative connotations. So uh, Pentecostal also has some negative connotations. And we're going to look at some of the reasons. Uh, now, churches don't actually go by these names. 
Uh, they're just descriptive. Okay, so the first type of Pentecostal church that really isn't a biblical uh, type I call a retro Pentecostal church. And a retro Pentecostal church is a, a church that sees virtue in worshiping the same way they did, you know, 50 years ago. And they haven't adopted to the times. They're not relevant to the culture. And uh, they would typically do everything from the King James Version because that's the version Jesus used. <laughs> and uh, that's the retro Pentecostal church. Uh, they love God, and, uh, but it's not really the way God has instructed us to interact with our culture. Styles and practices hasn't kept up with the culture. The second type of Pentecostal church is to call it a prosperity Pentecostal church. Prosperity Pentecostal Church is uh, a church that features what I call name it, claim it theology. You know, you can have whatever you want if you have enough faith. It really doesn't matter what God wants. If, if you really want it and you claim it, you can have it. So that Corvette you saw in the showroom, if you have enough faith, it can be yours. Nobody here wants a Corvette. Okay, that... <laughs> That Mercedes, you know, whatever you might dream about, okay, uh, you can have. God wants every believer to be rich. Now, I'm talking about a prosperity Pentecostal church, which we are not. So, don't take that soundbite out, okay? So, they teach that God wants every believer to be rich. And if you're not rich and wealthy, then there's something wrong with your faith. If you had enough faith, you would be rich, and we could go on and on. Prosperity Pentecostal Church takes some teachings in the Bible and distorts them uh, into something that the Bible doesn't teach. Next is a hyper-Pentecostal church. A hyper-Pentecostal church is always looking for the latest, the greatest, the most entertaining possible presentation they can have, regardless of whether there's any biblical support for the latest fad or not. They're always looking, and I won't go into all the fads that have come down the pike in hyper-Pentecostal churches, but um, let me just say that I won't talk about angel feathers floating from the sky here, okay? And we'll just leave it there. <clears throat> many, many other things. Okay, the fourth uh, type of unauthentic Pentecostal church is a nominal Pentecostal church. This is a, a church that claims to have Pentecostal theology in their statement of beliefs, but there's very little evidence of the Spirit's work either in the teaching of the church or in the practice of the church. So they're Pentecostal in name, but not in practice or teaching. And finally is the authentic Pentecostal church. This is a church where it's teaching and practice of supernatural gifts of the Holy Spirit is integrated with the whole body of biblical truth. In an authentic Pentecostal church, there's a biblical balance between the manifestation of the Spirit and the solid teaching of God's Word. Everything is tested, whether it is in line with the Word of God. And the things that are not in line with the Word of God are not followed. And so the goal of, of Life Church, the goal of every Assemblies of God church, is to be an authentic Pentecostal church. And so today we're going to be talking about what an authentic, spirit-filled life looks like for the believer, looks like for an authentic Pentecostal church. 
after a believer is baptized in the Spirit, what should be different about their life? Well, Spirit-filled believers should demonstrate godly behavior. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1. The Apostle Paul writes to us and he says, Follow the way of love and eagerly desire spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. Now the Bible tells us that God is love. And so if we're filled with the Spirit of God, we should demonstrate God's love in all of our behavior. God's word in this verse instructs spirit-filled followers to follow God's way of love in everything that they do. And part of following God's way of love is to eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit. Now, some people say, well, you shouldn't desire those things. I mean, if they happen, they happen. But here God's word commands us to do two things. First of all, to follow the way of love. And secondly, to eagerly desire spiritual gifts. And if something is commanded to us in the Bible, if we don't follow that command, what is that? It's disobedience, it's sin. And so we need to look carefully at all the commands in the scripture. We need to do our best to follow them. Now, why should the gifts of the Spirit be a top priority in our life? Why should we eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit? Well, because Spirit-filled believers use those gifts for others, for other people. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 12, 7 through 11. It's a little lengthy passage, but I, we're going to talk in a future message about the gifts of the Spirit, but I just want to read this passage here for us today. It says, Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Underline those two words, common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge, by means of the same Spirit, to another uh, by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between Spirits, to another speaking different kind of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He distributes them to each one just as he determines. As I said, we're going to talk about the gifts of the Spirit in a future message. But in the first verse, he says the manifestation of the Spirit, which is the gifts of the Spirit in action, those are given for the common good. The gifts are given for the common good of the whole church family. God's gifts are given so that you can help others with God's supernatural gifts. And that should be our motivation for earnestly desiring spiritual gifts so that we can help others. Others have needs and God has provided these gifts so that we can meet those needs with his supernatural power. That's why we earnestly desire spiritual gifts. Not so we can have something for ourselves, but so that we can help other people. In helping other people, spirit-filled believers take risks. That's what faith is all about. Acts chapter 9, we're not going to look at the whole story. It talks about a spirit-filled believer named Ananias. We don't know a whole lot about Ananias, but we do know a brief period in his life. The Lord spoke to Ananias. He told him to go and pray for a man named Saul. Now, Ananias knew who Saul was. He goes, oh, Saul. 
Saul had been violently persecuting the Christians. He'd been throwing Christians in jail. He'd been killing other Christians. He'd been leading a rampage across Asia Minor. And now the Lord was telling Ananias to go to Saul's house and pray for him. To go and pray for such a man would be risking your very life. Ananias protested. And the Lord insisted. And Ananias chose to obey the Lord. He took the risk and he went to visit Saul. And this is what happened when he arrived there. Verse 17, then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And so Ananias put aside his fears. He obeyed the Lord. He had the gift of the spirits, the gift of the spirit within him. He prayed for Saul. Saul was healed. He was blind. And he received the gift of healing. He was able to see again. He was filled with the spirit. And then Ananias had the privilege of water baptizing him. And so oftentimes, a spirit-filled believer must take a risk to use the Spirit's gift to help others. Now, just because somebody says they're spirit-filled does not mean they are. Say, we need to have wisdom about some of these things. Just because someone says they are a Christian doesn't mean they are. You have to talk to somebody. You have to get to know them a little bit better to find out if what they are saying is true. A truly spirit-filled believer will demonstrate godly behavior. Why? Because they are filled with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is holy. The Spirit inspires godly behavior. Jesus instructed his disciples that the way to test whether somebody was from God or not was to inspect the fruit of their life, to look at what is the fruit of their life, what is their behavior, what is their life accomplishing. And so godly behavior is the fruit of of a truly spirit-filled life. A life that is not spirit-filled gives a life uh, characterized by ungodly behavior. And so many of the criticisms of spirit baptism and the gifts of the spirit come about because people are claiming to be spirit-filled whereas their behavior indicates they are not. And so not only do spirit-filled believers demonstrate godly behavior, spirit-filled believers develop godly attitudes. Look at Acts 6, verse 3. It says, Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them. Talked about this this morning in class downstairs because one of the men who was chosen was Stephen. Uh, the apostles here were choosing seven men to be uh, deacons in the church. They were to serve the widows who needed food. They need, were to distribute food to them. And the requirement for these men was that they were to be both spirit-filled and full of wisdom. And so these men, including Stephen, had, uh, had, were filled with the spirit. They had grown in this attitude, uh, this character quality of wisdom. And they were able to make godly decisions regarding the affairs of the church. Now, in order to develop godly attitudes, which really are the things that mold our character, attitudes are things you, 
you have inside of you. You have to be teachable. Spirit-filled believers are teachable. Jesus said in John 14, 26, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. And so if the Holy Spirit is meant to teach us all things, he's to remind us of the things that God is speaking to us in his word, how can we profit from his ministry? Well, we can only profit if we are teachable. And what does it mean to be teachable? To be teachable means, first of all, you need to recognize that you don't know it all. A person that knows it all is not teachable. In their mind, there's nothing to learn. They already know it all. Does anybody know it all? Don't raise your hand, please. Uh, <laughs> only the Holy Spirit knows it all. None of us. We all have things to learn from the Holy Spirit. So we need to be teachable. We need to recognize that we don't know it all. And that's hard for some people. Secondly, you must recognize that some of the things you think you know, things that you have believed for many years, you may be wrong about. You may actually believe some things that are incorrect. You may believe some things that the Bible doesn't really teach. I often talk to people who think they're right about something. They think it's in the Bible. It's not there. It's not there at all. But they thought it was there. A teachable person is open to learning through the Spirit new things from God's Word. None of us know everything about God's Word. None of us know everything the Holy Spirit wants to teach us. God wants to teach us. He wants to adjust our beliefs. He wants to adjust our thinking. For that to happen, we have to be humble enough to admit we don't know it all. We have things to learn. We need to be teachable. And when you are teachable, then spirit-filled believers can grow to become more and more like Jesus. Galatians 5.22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh and its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And we're going to talk more about the fruit of the Spirit in next week's message. But suffice it to say that the fruit of the Spirit are the character attitudes of Jesus. If you look at the life of Jesus, he exhibited all of these fruits of the Spirit, each and every one. The more of the fruit of the Spirit that we demonstrate in our lives, the more we become like Jesus in our attitudes. And when our attitudes are in line with the Spirit, then our behavior will be as well. You see, our behavior comes from our attitudes, from our internal thoughts and attitudes and from our character. Spirit-filled believers live by the Spirit. They put to death fleshly desires by the Spirit. Spirit-filled believers keep in step with the Spirit. They don't run ahead. They don't lag behind. They follow the Spirit's leading each and every day of their lives. So how are the fruits of the Spirit developed in a Spirit-filled believer? Just briefly, uh, 
talk about that this morning. Developing the fruit of the Spirit begins with a desire to grow more and more like Jesus. All right, first of all, you have to have a recognition that you're not quite there yet. Okay? That you're not quite like Jesus. Okay? If you think you're doing pretty good and you, you know, you're pretty much like Jesus and all you do and say, then you know, you're really not teachable. We've been talking about that. You have, to, you have to recognize that Jesus set the standard here and you're down here somewhere. That you have a ways to go to becoming more like, like Jesus. And you need to have a desire to become more like Jesus. Now that should be a desire in the heart of each and every believer. I want to be like Jesus. That's what a Christian means. It means somebody who is like Jesus, who is like Christ. And so we need to be willing to be taught by the Spirit, through the Word, through other people. The different ways that God teaches us through people that God has placed in our lives. Having a teachable heart and a desire to become more and more like Jesus. And finally, developing the fruit of the Spirit is nurtured by a consistent prayer life. Communicating with God each and every day. Learning from God's Word in each and every day. Praying in the Spirit each and every day. So we'll talk more about that next Sunday. But not only do spirit-filled believers demonstrate godly behavior, not only do they have, uh, are they working on developing godly attitudes, but spirit-filled believers are to be powerful witnesses. In Acts 1.8, Jesus told his disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so this verse is a promise of Jesus to the early disciples and really to the disciples of all time. But these disciples were gathered together to seek the baptism in the Spirit for the very first time. And Jesus promised that when the Spirit comes on you, you're going to receive power, and that power is going to make you powerful witnesses for me. Now what is the power that Jesus was talking about here? What is the power that would come and spirit baptism. The power was, first of all, to speak the word of God boldly at the Spirit's direction. Even in the face of persecution, even in the face of potential bodily harm or death. That's what we talked about this morning in the class. Stephen boldly spoke the gospel, knowing full well that it could and would mean his death. And he became the first martyr. But we are inspired by his story today, 2,000 years later. So the power is, first of all, to speak the word of God boldly at the Spirit's direction. The power is, secondly, to demonstrate and confirm the spoken word through the supernatural gifts of the Spirit. And we see this demonstrated throughout the book of Acts and throughout the New Testament, for that matter. The word is spoken boldly. It's confirmed with signs following Gifts of the Spirit meeting people's needs. Spirit-filled believers are repeatedly filled. Now, you recall at the very beginning of this message, I said that spirit baptism is the initial filling of the Spirit. So that implies that there are subsequent fillings of the Spirit. Now, why would a spirit-baptized believer need to be repeatedly filled? Well, the reason is that a spirit-filled believer can become unfilled. Okay? Uh, it's, it's kind of like a, 
a gas tank, I guess, right? Gasoline provides power for your car. Your tank can be full or it can be empty. If it's empty, your car doesn't go very good. The same is true in a believer's life. God wants you full of the Spirit so you have the power to move at His direction. Now, how can you become not Spirit-filled? Well, Scripture talks about not grieving the Spirit. Scripture talks about not quenching the Spirit. Scripture talks about not letting the fire of the Spirit grow low in your life. And so that happens as a result of sin. It happens as a result of indifference. It, helps, it happens as a result of not staying in communi close communication with God, of not abiding in Jesus Christ. And the level of being filled with the Spirit decreases. It also can happen simply by being used in ministry. As we give out of the Spirit's power, we need to be filled again with His power. And so it's not all just negative things. How can you tell if your spirit tank is going empty? Well, you won't be reading your Bible and praying very much. Your spirit tank is going empty. You have no desire to read God's Word. You're not praying in the Spirit, praying in tongues very much. Your spirit tank is getting low. You don't want to go to church and be around other believers. Your spirit tank is getting low. You begin to demonstrate more ungodly behavior, more ungodly attitudes. Your spirit tank is getting low. So whatever the cause, spirit-filled believers need to be repeatedly filled. We see this happening in the book of Acts. We talked about in Acts chapter 2 was the initial filling of the Spirit. The disciples, 120 in the upper room, were filled with the Spirit. 3,000 gathered. Many of them were saved. They were filled with the Spirit. Let's read a couple chapters later in Acts 4.31. Uh, these same disciples were together praying, at least a portion of them. It said, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. And so these were the same believers that just uh, preceding, perhaps just uh, a few weeks before or even days, I don't know the exact time frame, they were filled with the Spirit on the day of Pentecost, here were being refilled. What had happened in the meantime? Well, following the day of Pentecost, the apostles, some of the apostles had been arrested uh, they began to be persecuted. They were finally released and they were commanded not to witness for Jesus anymore. Not to talk about Jesus or else worse things would happen to them. And so the church gathered together and began to pray. And as they prayed, as they, I believe they sought additional filling of the Holy Spirit, they thought, uh, sought additional power of the Spirit to face this new challenge, this persecution, God filled them again. After they prayed, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And what did they do? They began to speak God's word boldly. They continued to witness, even in the face of persecution, even in the face of difficulty. Ephesians 5.18 tells us, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And so, you know, you can be filled with wine, 
And that leads to ungodly behavior. I mean, or you can be filled with something else. You can be filled with the Spirit of God, and that leads to godly behavior. Here, uh, the Greek tense where it says be filled with the Spirit means to be continuously filled with the Spirit. That's, uh, we shouldn't, our goal shouldn't be to, you know, go from a full tank to an empty tank, back to a full tank. That should be maintain a full tank, to be continually filled with the Spirit. God doesn't want to see the needle on red in your life. You want to be continually filled with the Spirit. And again, this is a command. Be filled with the Spirit. Uh, finally, Spirit-filled believers are led by the Spirit. Look at a short example here, Acts 8.29. The Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. And so here we see an example. I can't have time for the whole story, but the Spirit speaking to and leading Philip to witness to an Ethiopian eunuch. And when you read the whole story, you see it was an amazing divine appointment. It was orchestrated by the Holy Spirit, the Spirit guiding Philip, Philip having ears to hear what the Spirit was saying to him. He was led by the Spirit. It led to this, uh, this Ethiopian eunuch being saved uh, and baptized. Romans 8.14 says, Those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. And so God's plan for each and every one of his children is that they be spirit-filled and that they be led by the Spirit. In order to be led by the Spirit, you have to hear the Spirit's voice. You have to be able to understand the Holy Spirit speaking to you. You have to be able to hear his voice. And the ability to hear the Spirit increases dramatically after you're baptized in the Holy Spirit. And so being led by the Spirit is critical importance to being a powerful witness for Jesus. And so we talked about three characteristics today uh, of Spirit-filled believers. They exhibit godly behavior. Uh, their lives match up with what their mouths say. They have godly attitudes, godly character underlying. They're becoming more and more like Jesus. And thirdly, they are Powerful witnesses. They speak for the Lord. Uh, they are bold in their, in their witnessing. And these three characteristics go hand in hand. If you have godly attitudes, it's going to lead to godly behavior. And that is necessary to be a powerful witness. What happens if a person tries to witness to an unbeliever and the unbeliever is aware of serious ungodly behavior or attitudes? It doesn't go over very good. I'll tell you that right now. The unbeliever would label the believer as a hypocrite, and rightly so. He's saying one thing, say, you need to be saved, you need to repent, and you're living like the devil. Okay, it doesn't work at all. Your attitudes and behavior have to line up with your words in order to be a powerful witness. And the last attitude of a, a spirit-filled believer that they need to be a powerful witness is to have an attitude of compassion for the unbeliever. You see this throughout the Gospels. Jesus had compassion on those who were not yet believers. We have to have an attitude of compassion, of really caring for those who are lost, really caring about those whose eternal destiny is hell. Even as they persecute us, we need to care about them. And that compassion both informs and it motivates us to talk to them 
about Jesus. And so the Spirit-filled life, not just about spiritual gifts. A Spirit-filled life is about a believer seeking to become more and more like Jesus. Jesus Christ lived a perfect, Spirit-filled life. Jesus followed the Spirit's direction. He only did what the Spirit directed him to do. Jesus ministered in the Spirit's power. The Gospels are filled with accounts of the Spirit healing people, the Spirit delivering people, all kinds of things through the power of the Spirit. And he spoke God's Word boldly. And with the Spirit's help, we can do the same. Now, to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit, you need to do three things. And this is basically what Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. You need to admit that you've sinned. Turn away from that sin. That's what repentance is all about. You need to believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross, rose from the dead three days later, and you need to commit yourself to following him as your Lord, to doing what he says. So let's bow our heads now. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ this morning, if you're not sure that you would go to heaven if you died today, then you need to pray this prayer with me. Pray something like this in your own heart. Say, Father, today I admit that I've sinned. I've done wrong things. I, I know they were wrong. You're, I know your word says they were wrong. Come into my life. I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross and took the penalty for my sin. I believe he's alive today. He rose from the dead. And I commit my life to following him as my Savior and Lord. And for those of us who are believers today, let's pray as well. Father, we thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we desire to be filled with him more and more. Forgive us for the sin and indifference that causes us to quench and grieve the Spirit in our lives, God. We need him in this day and age more than ever before. God, may those who are seeking to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, God, we pray that they would receive that wonderful gift. And may each of us grow in our spirit-filled behavior and attitudes as we seek to become more and more like Jesus. Help us to realize, God, that the reason that you poured out the Spirit was that we might be powerful witnesses for you. Fill us, God, with this compassion for the lost. Help us to reach out to those around us as you did. And we thank you, God, that even when through our own indifference, through our own lack of desire, our, our spirit tank gets low, we thank you, God, that you can refill us, that you can fill us up again. Help us to be continually filled with your spirit, to be full of your spirit each and every day, to be led by your spirit minute by minute. Help us as we seek to walk with your Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.